Well, so Landon said he's calling the audible here. There's only one problem with that, and that is my voice is coming back, but I got this little nagging cough that has joined me now. So I'm hoping and praying that I'm not too much of a distraction this morning um, as I preach and share with you uh, what uh, God's laid on my heart to bring today. Um, but I know this, God is awesome, He's powerful, He's almighty, and whatever is said today, whatever is brought to you in God's word, I pray His blessings fall upon you, and you walk out of here different than when you came in. You know, it's been a crazy week, uh, the storm last Sunday, and I didn't realize, you know, we knew what damage was done here in Wauseon, and, and some in Pettisville, and then Conagra uh, over in Archibald, and, and I didn't realize what Jim was... Um, so he showed me the pictures this morning where he would have been working last Sunday had he not been at church. Um, and he's been called in every Sunday to work, and he was miraculously able to not go last Sunday. And he was here had he been there. Just look at his pictures. That part of the building where he works is gone. Um, so God works in miraculous ways, of, and we, we are so thankful for that. Uh, and Unfortunately, there were some people who didn't escape tragedy, tragedy last Sunday, those in Sutherland, Texas. And uh, our hearts are, are broken. And um, I know our senses are raised again. Once again, there's that, there's that fear that gets placed in, naturally in, into us as humans, right? You go to a place of worship, and that shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen, period, right? Whether it's a place of worship, whether it's a school, whether it's a mall, whether it's a street... Let's remember Hebrews 4.15. We're told, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize, but one who in every respect has been tested as we are. Murder is why Jesus came into the world the way he did. Sin and evil is the reason why Jesus came into the world the way he did. And I was reading something John Piper said. He said, what kind of Savior do we need when our hearts are shredded by brutal loss? We need a suffering Savior. We need a Savior who has tasted the cup of horror that we are being forced to drink. We have a Savior who has tasted death, who has tasted those kinds of tragedies. So he can sympathize with us. He knows the pain, the fear that has come our way. And so that is why we look to God for help. And we ask for his help. And we have placed our trust in an almighty, sovereign God who loves, he protects, he guides us. We believe that. Yet we live in a fallen world, do we not? A world of sin and evil, tragedy and pain are present. We understand that. So we ask for God's almighty hand to protect us. And yet we must also use the wisdom that God has given us as well. And I I want to let you know that... At True North, we want to provide a place of worship that is a safe haven. You shouldn't have to come to church on Sunday morning worrying about what if. If we did that, we would never leave our house. Matter of fact, we couldn't even, we, we would probably barricade ourselves in the basement. No, because if it rains, it might flood, right? If we have that kind of mindset, there'll be trouble everywhere we go. You can't live that way. But we want you to know our staff and our leadership have safety measures in place and we're taking greater measures now 
This Thursday, there will be a training session, Thursday night, 7 o'clock. I think it's in your bulletin. If you want to be part of the safety team that helps sort of patrol, keeps an eye out, and um, be a part of that, please come Thursday night. We're going to do some training, what to do in the crisis situation, and this is the way you train. You train for the worst-case scenario. And so that's what we're going to be doing. We pray that never comes. But we need to be prepared, right? So anyway, I just want to let you know that that's where we're at as a church. We look at what's happened in the past week. We need to look forward with how God leads us. And we trust an almighty, sovereign God that in all things, um, whatever happens, that does not shake our faith. Our faith is our foundation. Amen? Okay, so here's the deal. So that I don't get this nagging cough going and stuff, I want to use some help today. So, um, Clay, would you come up here, please? Clay is going to help me out. And you want to help me out, too. That is awesome. Daniel chapter 6, why don't you all turn there? Daniel chapter 6. So this is what's going to happen. I'm, I've asked Clay to help read scripture for me this morning. I've asked a few other people in the church to read as well. Sort of preserve the voice and the coughing, right? And um, he, here's the I'm making him sit up here the whole service. Does that mean an increase in your wages at home? Your What do you call that? We supposedly give you? Allowance, yeah, allowance, yeah. Well, since we allow you to live in our house... Um, <laughs> Yeah, we're going for that. Anyway, so, so we're at Daniel 6. Everybody there, Daniel 6? Okay, so before we uh, figure out how to face a fiery furnace or a den of lions, um, it's in great importance that we understand you can't face lions, you can't face a fiery furnace, you can't face mass murder, you can't face a storm in your life without having a solid foundation, as we learned with Daniel and his three friends. Last week, we witnessed Daniel's strong faith in a mighty... Uh, God, and it was very evident by his actions. His solitude with God, his prayer time with God did not change. So Daniel is in his 80s. Sort of think about this. He's had enough in his lifetime of bending his knee to God and praying to God countless times every day that he is very solid in his foundation. But in the end... You think about this, we would like to believe we could do the same thing, right? That I would have the same solid foundation. And Daniel did not fool God. Daniel had that relationship with God. He bent his knee, he prayed to God, he had his quiet time, right? But we'd like to think we could do the same thing, but sometimes we can go one way or the, another. We could easily act one way in church and act another way at work, and we sort of wishy-wash back and forth, right? Daniel wasn't that way as we discover. Now, as I shared, this book provides a picture of God's sovereignty in life. A picture paints a thousand words, right? So could you for a moment just close your eyes? And don't keep them closed too long, but close them for now, okay? Picture either a fiery furnace... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, okay? Eyes closed. Or a lion's den. Just picture that. 
picture yourself being pushed into either one of those. Okay, open your eyes. That's the worst part, right? The part that you didn't see, but we read about is how God rescued you in that moment as he rescued Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego in those situations. Daniel was one of three leaders that was at this point in time being pursued, singled out. And in that moment of being singled out, he shined above all the other leaders. It says in the scriptures that he had an excellent spirit. He was a man of integrity. And so when he weighed out against these other leaders, they looked at him. Couldn't find anything wrong with him, could they? No flaws. What can we find about it? There's got to be something kind of dirt that we can dig up on him. Maybe he's cheating on his taxes. Maybe he's mean to people. We don't see it. What is it? And they couldn't find anything, right? So the other administrators, out of jealousy, tried to find a way to get Daniel in trouble, as we were reading this last week, okay? Daniel was such a faithful man, though. Could you look at verse 4 for me, please? I'll bring you this one right here. And read verse 4 for me, please. Then the other administrators and princes began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling his affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize. He was faithful and honest and always responsible. He was what again? He was faithful, honest, and always responsible. Faithful, faithful, honest, and always responsible. Can that be said the same thing about us? I asked you that question last week, right? Could somebody say the same thing about us? Now, he wasn't sinless, was he? But he was just a man of great integrity. His integrity shined above everybody else. And so they saw his life was different. They saw his commitment. They used his faith then as a tool to hurt him. They're thinking, oh, so he's a man of integrity. He's honest, huh? How can we use this against him? Oh, he worships God. How can we use this against him and just nail him? Think fiery furnace, think lion's den, because again, these are the horrific outcomes of what could be if they had their way, right? So they lied. They said all the administrators and governors consulted together, but of course that did not include Daniel. So they lied, but Darius signed a proclamation anyway, made it law. You can't change it. Once it is signed according to their custom in this time in history with the Medes, whatever you signed, done. Can't change it. So, what do you do? What would Daniel do? What did Daniel do, right? He went and prayed anyway. Last week I asked you, what would you do? What if you knew that today was a day for what could have happened at Sutherland, Texas would happen here? But not the way that went down. But with maybe armed forces by the government coming into our church and saying, did you not know the law of this state? In Ohio, it's proclaimed you cannot worship God in a place of worship. So there will be death by execution for those who worship God in a place of worship on Sunday mornings. Would you show up Sunday morning? It's fair to ask, because that's what was asked of Daniel. And Daniel said, "Uh, still praying. Can't stop me, right? Go ahead and read verse 10, please. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down, as usual, in his upstairs room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem. 
He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Now we know that people have the power to hire us, fire us, right? To belittle us, to betray us, to break our hearts, to slander us, to make our lives generally miserable if they want. So sometimes we just please man because we don't want to deal with that, right? But the power to obey God and stand for him comes from, I really believe again, a, a certain understanding of who God is and how to worship him. He could have very, Daniel very could have easily said, I'm just going to please the rest of these men, but he didn't. He said, I'm going to please God. So I'm choosing to obey the power of God over the power of men. And again, put us in this situation. How many times have we maybe been in that moment where it's like, okay, I've got to please this person or please God? Which one am I going to do? Who do we choose? See, the kind of stories as you read through the Bible you're, you're faced with. And you have to put yourself there and ask these questions. If not, then reading is just reading for entertainment. God's word is not for entertainment. God's word, what? It pierces and cuts through into our soul, inspires us, gives us truth, gives us life, right? I'm going to ask. I'm not sure I gave John 15. I think that was Dave. Come on up here. So when we choose to obey God, opposition is going to rise. When we choose to obey God, things will come our direction. Are you ready for it? Jesus told us this is going to happen. Dave, would you please read from John 15 and 16? Beginning at verse 18. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Do you remember? Wait, 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 stop. Could you just read that last part again? I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. The world hates us? Jesus himself is saying, hey, guess what? I chose you to come out of the world. I chose you to be different. When you are holy, holy means to be set apart from God. We are holy saints. Never once in the Bible, you just find it. Look for it, please. Then let me know. Correct me. I'm okay with being corrected, okay? But if you can find the New Testament, anywhere where Paul says, I'm a sinner saved by grace, let me know. Now, he talks about being a sinner, right? But he never describes himself as being a sinner saved by grace. He calls himself a saint. He calls us as Christians saints, holy, chosen, dearly beloved, right? But a lot of times we walk around with what the negative term going through our mind. I'm a sinner saved by grace. You're a saint. You're holy. Holy means to be separate from this world, to be separated to God. And what did Jesus say in that? Could you read that one more time? I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. So we're going to be hated just because you're a Christian, okay? So don't expect this world to say, oh, Christians love you all. No, the world says Christians hate you all. We're not the haters, by the way, right? We're the ones that are hated upon at times. It's just the way it is. It's what Jesus tells us. So when you think it's so unfair that I'm being treated this way, consider joy. Because you are being what Christ called being blessed, right? Because you are persecuted for your faith, right? Go ahead and finish off. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. Say that again. Anyone, Anyone who hates me 
also hates my father. So if they hate Jesus, they're hating God. So there's no way people can say, well, I love God, but I don't like Jesus. There's no connection there, right? They hate Jesus, they hate God. Okay, go ahead. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they haven't seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in their scriptures. They hated me without cause. But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. Oh, stop for a second. Could I need to rewind back. Before the whole advocate part, what was the verse before that? Could you say it again? This fulfills what is written in their scriptures. They hated me without cause. They hated Jesus without cause. Isn't that crazy? It's like... People just hate you and hate what you do when you live for Christ for no reason. It's like, I thought I was doing something good, and it just it doesn't make sense. Why do people hate Christians? Why do people hate those who love others and want to do? It doesn't make sense, does it? What did Jesus say? For no cause. Jesus is telling us thousands, a couple thousands of years ago, this was all going down, and we're like, it doesn't make sense. Jesus told us, okay? All right, so he sends what now? But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. For you will be expelled from the synagogues and from the t- and the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. This is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen... You will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a while longer. Thank you, Dave. Thank you so much. Mark that scripture down, please. Come back to it. Read it more again. When you have these days, you're like, it doesn't make sense. Why? Just go back. Oh, wait. Jesus told us this is the way it's going to be, right? He said the world's going to hate us. The world's going to hate us just because of who we are, just because of what we believe. So naturally, because somebody hates you, persecution is going to happen. It's unfortunate, but it, that's the, what goes down. In the midst of that persecution, now please listen to this. Did you hear what he said? I've given somebody to you to help you. He didn't say, I'm just going to wipe out the persecution. That's not yet. That, there will be a day, there will be a time when Jesus will return and all that's gone. Okay, But until that day when Jesus returns, he says, I'm giving somebody to be with you, an advocate, a counselor. The Greek word is parakletos, okay? It looks like parakletos, okay? Like a pair of cleats, okay? But it's parakletos, okay? That means somebody who is beside you. He's summoned to come to our side, okay? Right here, attached at the hip. He's the one who pleads our cause to a heavenly judge. If we were to stand before God, God looks at our sins. He says, you're guilty. You deserve hell. You deserve death. Jesus stands between and says, but look, look what I've done. My sin, my death on the cross paid that price. And the Holy Spirit, the advocate, steps in between and says, I'm pleading this case on behalf of what Jesus did to you, Heavenly Father. And the Father looks through the Holy Spirit to what Jesus did and says, innocent. It's an amazing picture. He is our counsel for defense. He intercedes for us. He pleads with God the Father on our behalf. He helps us. He aids us. He gives us deeper knowledge of the Bible. When you're reading God's word, you don't understand it. Holy Spirit, help me understand. Go ahead and pray that. He is your advocate. He is your counselor. He is your guide. 
So when we undergo persecution and trials and troubles, here's the deal. Our paraclete, our advocate, our counselor is right there with us. So last Sunday, in the midst of storm, death, Holy Spirit was there. Grieving right along with everybody else. But there to give them hope. To give them strength to make it through the next day. Daniel knows this. Daniel didn't let that decree change his actions one way or another. He didn't pray less. He didn't pray more. He prayed. He had a place. And we talked about this. We had like five P's up there. He had a place. He had a purpose. He had a position. He was persistent and he gave praise. I challenge you to make sure you did that with your prayer life this past week. And hopefully you did. Hopefully you did. What a testimony to know that you can count on a man of God to be a man of God. Because that's what Daniel was, right? Men, gentlemen in this room. That's what every woman, every wife, every daughter needs. Every son needs is for men to be men of God. Let's learn from these men, right? Daniel's strength, courage, choice was was easy because I believe, again, he had that solid foundation. Well, here we are in the midst of Daniel's silence. And uh, those other administrators caught him. Oh, they set up the trap. They got their evidence. They caught him praying. Now, again, if you're a godly person, it shouldn't take long to convict you. Think about that. If you are a person of God who loves the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you love the Lord as yourself, you love Him, you're going to live for Him, you're loving Him, guess what? It shouldn't take long to convict you of being a holy person. It shouldn't. You should be able to walk out these doors and the first person says, Guilty. I saw the way you live for Jesus. You're guilty. Awesome. Okay? It's okay to be convicted of being holy. Okay? I've, I, I've walked into schools before and people are like, oh, you're that Jesus dude. All right, whatever. Yeah, Jesus dude, I guess. I mean, the guy that works for FCA or the pastor, which one? And like, Yeah, yeah. That's a compliment. Go ahead. Call me Jesus dude, Jesus freak, whatever. I don't care. That means I've been convicted of the evidence. Okay? But scary is we can be convicted the other way too by our ungodly actions. I've had those calls too. Hey, does so-and-so, don't they go to FCA? Yeah, aren't they a leader? Yeah. Their language is horrible when they're not around. Oh, they're great at leading an FCA, or they're great at the church or the youth group, but man, when they're out with their friends, they're doing stuff they should not be doing, and their language is horrible. So is that the way Christians act? Shouldn't be. Guilty, right? Our evidence can convict us both ways. Daniel, let's go back to Daniel chapter 6. Everybody there? Daniel 6. Let's look at verse 11. Clay, please read 11 through 13. The officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went back to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, anyone who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to your majesty, will be thrown to the lions? Yes, the king replied. That decision stands. It is the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Go ahead and read the um, next one, too. I'm sorry. Then they told the king, That man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is paying no attention to you or your law. 
He still prays to his God three times a day. Oh, busted, wasn't he? I mean, those scheming worms, uh, they did their dirty work, and they nailed Daniel. They, they got him. I mean, they must have been so happy, they were probably giving each other high fives, right? They're like, yeah, we got him. Okay, all right. All right, so go ahead, read verse 14, read on. Hearing this, the king was very angry with himself for signing the law, and he tried to find a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. And verse 15. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty knows everything that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. Wow, you know, we know a lot about King Darius, um, but we, or we don't know a lot about him. But one thing we do know about him and we can admire is, is that he was displeased with himself. When he realized that he had made a law that was going to hurt his friend, he took the blame on himself. He's like, it's my responsibility. How quick are we? You know, usually we pass off. We make excuses. Oh, that's somebody else. Darius like, you know what? I'm the one that signed this. This is on me. And he knew that he was ultimately responsible for his friend's soon-to-be death. It's amazing, right? We think about this. Sometimes our foolish decisions haunt us, and it was haunting him. He did not, it did not sit well with him. Clay, read verse 16. So at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you worship, continually rescue you. Yeah, he couldn't put it off anymore. He thought about, I wonder how I could get my buddy out of this. I, I, I can't. I have to follow through with my official order. I've worked hard. I've tried to figure out how not to throw him in, how to work around the laws. But I can't even rewrite the, the laws. So before Daniel is tossed into this pit of ravenous lions, I mean, you could just, you probably hear him just roaring and, and you're just thinking off in the distance because, you know, you got to put yourself there. You got, you know, we read the story. We had the little flannel graphs. Like, you know, it's like, put yourself there. There's this pit, this cave that has these hungry lions, plural, in it. And they're probably roaring. And the king's looking face to face with Daniel. And what does he say? May your God. And you got to think he's saying this with a very solemn and a very heartfelt reaction. May your God, whom you faithfully serve, save you. He wanted God to save him. And, and did you notice how he described Daniel? The one you faithfully serve. You are faithful to your God. That amazes me. You would, you would pray to him knowing that this is going to happen. So you just want to imagine the king there. And you sit there and think, you know, it, it was as if Darius had faith. If he would have, it would have been born out of Daniel's faith. You know, again, the idea was I tried my best to save you, Daniel, but I can't. It's up to your God now. I wonder what's going to happen. Let's look. Uh, Clay, go ahead and read verse 17 and 18, please. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth, of the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seal of his nobles, so that no one could rescue Daniel from the lions. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Wow, so he sealed up the stone, and he goes back to the palace... And he, he's just sitting there thinking, okay, um, I, I have no idea what's happening to my friend now. Does he go back and sleep? No. Does he go back as a king normally would go back after something like this and, and eat? No. Party? No. Have a couple women come over? No. He didn't do any of that. It says he fasted. 
and he couldn't sleep. Wouldn't you have loved to have seen what unfolded in that cave, in that pit, when all this went down then? I mean, not initially, but after, you know, we know because we've read the story what happens, right? But I would have loved to have seen Daniel gets tossed in, hits that bottom of that cave, all these lions are there. What happens next, right? Because we know the lions don't touch him. I want to see what happens. And maybe when I get to heaven, you know, we can talk to Daniel. Daniel, what happened? Or like, hey, God, you got a jumbotron? Can you put it up on the screen? I'd like to see it. Let's do a replay here. I want to see it. Did the angels come in and like, on the mouth of those lions? And just, what happened? Did, they, did, they, did the lions just lay down and sleep? Or did they, did they, did they like rub up against his leg like annoying cats do? I mean, all right. I'm just kidding. I know we got some cat lovers out there. They're not annoying. They're evil, aren't they? <laughs> Right, just kidding, okay? It's a family thing. All right, okay. So, um, did Daniel pray as normal when he's down there? I mean, he was like, all these lines around him, and they're like sort of growling. And did he get down on his knees and pray? Did they like, come up? I mean, like just face to face with him while he's praying? Or did he, or was he, was he like chilling with him? Was he like, like if you're the lines, like, oh God, you're awesome. I love, oh, the manes are so soft, you know? I don't know what he did. That's what I'm saying. Wouldn't you like to know? I'd love to know, right? Charles Spurgeon said this. In any case, he must have had a glorious night. What with the lions and with angels all night to keep him company, he was spending the night watches in grander style than Darius. See Darius? Remember Darius? Can't eat, can't sleep. I'm like, what's going on my friend? And Daniel's like, yeah, oh, stop rubbing against my leg. You're evil. I'm just kidding. Okay. But what was he doing, right? I mean, what was going on? There's such a difference between the two. Can't eat, can't sleep. I'm going to sleep like a baby tonight. And this is pretty awesome. Isn't my God awesome? Right? Maybe he prayed. Maybe he prayed the prayer of Psalm 57. He's got Psalm 57. Come on up here. I think it's Emma. Emma's going to come up here. Now, here, let me give you background on Psalm 57 while Emma's coming up here. This psalm was written by David. Remember David and Goliath, the big fight that went down, champion and bully, right? Okay, little kid, big giant, okay? That took place in the hills of Judah, okay? Just a few ticks over, you know, just stroll over to one of these hills. There was a cave, Cave Abdom, which, which is a cave that David hid in after King Saul was chasing him. Defeat Goliath, doing what God's called me to do. Fast forward a little bit in David's life, he becomes king, but Saul is still chasing him down. So he hides in the cave and he writes this psalm. Could you read Psalm 57, please? Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in, my soul ta- for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. 
the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Thank you, Emma. So he starts off, have mercy on me, God. Protect me. And he talks about what? His enemies being like a lion that are around him ready to devour. And then he goes on and just says, you know what? You are a faithful God. You rescue me. Could Daniel prayed that kind of prayer? I mean, that was written before him. So could he have remembered looking back? Hey, he's in his 80s. He's probably read through the scriptures multiple times. And remember, there was a smaller amount for him to read then. Could he have memorized this one? I don't know. We don't know what he prayed. We're unsure of what he did that night. But we do know this. In the morning, things change. Look at the person next to you and say, things change. No, we need that after a rough night. Don't you just want to wake up in the morning and say, God, change today. Okay, Today's got to be better than yesterday, right? Things change. Um, Clay, go ahead and read verse 19 and 20, please. Very early the next morning, the king hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you worship continually able to save you from the lions? He couldn't sleep, so it's obviously easy for him to get up in the morning. It's like, okay, I'm already awake. I couldn't sleep. He runs out to the, uh, to the, where the cave is, the pit is, where the lions are, right? And he's like eager to see what happened. He quickly hurries there. He calls out in a voice. It's a very lament. It's anguish. It's a painful call that he uses as scripture describes it and listen how he describes god a man um who we know at this time didn't really have faith in god right but but listen to how he describes him was your god whom you faithfully serve able to rescue you from the lines like so is, is your god real he's not quite sure right he says if darius wants to believe in the power of god but i'm not quite sure Let's, let's read on. Go ahead and read verse uh, 21, 22. Daniel answered, Long live the king. My God sent his angel to, sh- to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. We don't know if, if Daniel saw an angel or the angels were there, but we know this. He says, the angel of the Lord came and he shut those mouths. Bam! They didn't touch me. The confidence that Daniel must have had at that moment, that time... We certainly know God sends his angels to rescue him, right? Hebrews 1.14 says this. Therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. God sent an angel to serve Daniel's needs. What an incredible thing. He was preserved through his faith. Those cause was righteous. I am going to continue to pray to God. He was unjustly accused, wasn't he? Even though his cause is right, he's unjustly accused. He gets thrown in the pit. He needed not a king who could sympathize with him, right? He needed a God who could rescue him. And that's what he had. Daniel needed a living, abiding faith in God, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. And he found that. Clay, could you go and read 23 and uh, 24, please? 
The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had then thrown them into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. Wow. That's sort of the scary part, isn't it? That's the judgmental part right there. King Darius gave the command that no one even had to ask this time. He didn't didn't get anybody's advice this time. He was ready to free Daniel and judge those who were really guilty. And he made the call. He brought justice to those who plotted against Daniel. Now listen very carefully. The men who plotted against Daniel, King said, you're guilty. And because you're guilty, your spouses, your children, and your children's children are all guilty as well. You will all be condemned to death. And they were taken and they were thrown in a pit. And it says before they hit the, the ground, they were devoured. Now, it's important for you to understand a couple of things here. First of all, with that is, because some people are like, oh, maybe there's something wrong with the lions. They weren't the man-eating kind of lions. They were vegetarians or something. Right? I'm telling you, there's some crazy people out there that think certain things about the Bible. And they will come up with whatever excuse they can to dismiss truth. And then we come up with excuses, right? So the fact that these people are thrown in just minutes later and they don't even hit the bottom before they're devoured goes, oh, you know what, those lions were real and they were man-eaters, okay? Right? Here's something else I want you to take note of. That as parents, how important is it that we live godly lives? Because like these men, the way they lived, the way they led, brought downfall to their family. If we aren't living and leading for God, then we're taking our family astray. And our kids pay the price. Our spouses pay the price. Students, kids in this room, please listen carefully. If your parents are saying, I don't want you to use that kind of language. I don't want you to watch that show, listen to that music. I, I, we're listening. Church is, is it's a, it's a, we're happening. It's going. You're going Wednesday night. You're going Sunday. I want you to read the Bible. I want you to pray. If your parents are putting, you know, you call them rules. We, I, their boundaries are good disciplines, right? You know why they're doing that? Because they love you. And they're understanding their role as parents. As parents, we know we need to raise our kids in a godly way. And if we don't raise our kids in a godly way, we're letting them straight down a path that is not good. It's a path of destruction, right? Right, Clay? Let's make sure. But it's important that we understand that. When you look at what these men did, their choice led to the downfall of their whole family and a whole line of generation. Maybe some of you come from a family where Heart, heartache and heartbreak is happening all the time. Tim and Sarah Winsick could probably, they're not here today, they could give testimony to the fact that in Tim's, Tim's family, um, out of all his aunts, uncles, family members, everybody's been divorced. Everybody. Just ask them. Him and Sarah are the only ones who have kept it together, which is pretty awesome for him. Because you look at that family, and that generation to generation, it's, 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 it's all been broken. But Tim and Sarah have said, not in our house. We're committing our marriage to God. We will stay together, thick and thin. I'm not here to hear this today, and I don't even know I'm talking about him, but I've truly admired his stance where he is. Anyway, let's, let's go on. Psalm 71, 11 through 17. I'm going to ask Ron to come up here. Daniel's accusers, they perished 
basically in the same trap that was set for them. And in Psalm 7, 11 to 17, we hear something similar. So please read. If only I had the voice of Dave. Did he not sound like God reading? Oh, big shoes. God is a righteous judge, a God who expresses his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He makes ready his flaming arrows. He who is pregnant with evil and conceives trouble gives birth to disillusionment. He who digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit he has made. The trouble he causes recoils on himself. His violence comes down on his own head. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Thank you, Rhonda. When you think about that, God is an honest judge. Sometimes we think, God, I don't know if, I don't know if he handled that right. Who are we to tell God how to judge, right? So in this case with Daniel and those administrators, who are we to tell God, well, I don't think you should have done that to his whole family or to it. God is an honest judge. He's our shield, right? When all said and done, God uses an ungodly man. This is incredible. God uses an ungodly man to give God praise. All right, let's go back to uh, the book of Daniel, starting verse 25. And you just keep reading until I tell you to stop, okay? Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race, nation, and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in heavens and on earth. He rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Don't you love how he uses an ungodly man to give God praise? I, 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 you know, you find that every now and then in Scripture, and this is always in Daniel, it just seems like all these kings just fall. And there's like five times in the book of Daniel, chapters 1 through 6, where we see these ungodly kings give praise to God. Why? Because of the godly men. Now, here's something else. It's amazing how this passage... Um, thanks, Clay. You can go ahead and have a seat. Appreciate you doing this. Thank you. It's amazing how this passage points us to the New Testament. Okay. And worship team, I'm going to ask you to come on up at this time. And maybe we don't see this, and um, it's brought to my attention, and it just reminds us, you know, as I'm reading through this, this was an incredible victory, okay? Think about this. Daniel is falsely accused for doing what is right. But he's falsely accused. So he is going to be put to death. And he's going to be put in a cave. And the king runs in the morning to see if he is alive or dead or lion bones or whatever, right? And he discovers he's alive. And the king gives praise, right? Does not remind you of Jesus Christ, who was falsely accused, who was put to death, put in a cave. The stone was rolled. Remember how the stone was sealed by King Darius? Nobody can open up this, this pit. Pilate sealed the tomb. Nobody can open up the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and disciples came running that morning 
stone was rolled away. And just like Darius, are you alive? The God who, who you love, did he rescue you? And you know, like Mary and Peter, and all, they all get in there. It's like, where is he at? And he goes, I'm alive. I conquered death. See, Daniel conquered death without dying, right? I mean, he was rescued. Jesus said, I'm the rescuer. I've conquered death. I've conquered sin. I'm alive again. When you look at the story of Daniel, you can get a glimpse of the New Testament and be reminded that our God is alive. That in those mornings when we sit there and, and we wonder, is, I don't know if today can get any worse, right? Is tomorrow going to be better? And we can't sleep, we can't eat, and we wake up and we run and we're like, God, are you there? Daniel was there because the God he loved saved him, right? Jesus wasn't there. You know why? Because he conquered death. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm not in there. I'm here. And I'm giving you my spirit to be with you. Parakletos. Your sidekick. Your guide. The one who counsels you. You're not alone in tragedy. You're not alone when you're being told to live an ungodly lifestyle and say, no, I can live that godly lifestyle because I'm not alone. I get it. Temptation is tough. We're not perfect. I'm not asking anybody to be perfect. I can't be perfect. There's no way. I'm not asking you to be sinless. I'm not sinless. Just saying, let's take that journey. Let's chase after God. Let's try to live that godly life. So that when the evidence comes against us, we can be convicted of being guilty as charged, living a holy life. And I know my God, who I hope is your God, says, oh, I'll rescue you. I'll rescue you. And even if it gets super bad, my son, my Savior, came and conquered death and sin. Those who passed away last Sunday in that church, horrible, right? Their presence now is with their Savior. You know why? Because Jesus conquered death and sin. Church, where are you at with this? I hope you're not like Darius. Remember Darius? Hey, the God of Daniel, you read through that. He never said, my God. He said, well, the God of Daniel. You know what made this this chapter come to a great conclusion as if Darius would have said, I want to make him my God. Darius never did. So chapter 6 was pretty awesome, right? But it would have been better if he just would have said, I want to make him my God. You know what? You want to make your life pretty awesome? If you could proclaim, he is my God. He is my God. And I will worship him. The God who, who rescued Daniel, that is my God. The God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for me and conquer death and sin, that is my God. Church, is he your God? I hope he is. Today would be a great day to confess that. To invite him into your life. To say, you walk with me today, God. I know you'll never leave me. I know you'll never abandon me. And it has been rough. But I know you're there with me. And you'll rescue me from today. Amen. Would you please stand? Let's pray. God, what an awesome God you are. God, we know you are trustworthy.
whether, whether we trust you or not, you are trustworthy. And God, we know you are faithful. Whether I'm faithful to you or not, you are faithful. And God, I know you will never leave me, even though there's times I abandon you. And God, I know you are God, even though sometimes I don't act like it. God, what an amazing God you are. Trustworthy, faithful, ever-present, all-powerful, almighty. You are God. You're my God. And I'm your child. According to what Jesus said in John chapter 1, my faith in you, my confessing of my sins and placing my trust in you, I'm, I'm your son. God, I pray that we can all say that in this room. And if there isn't, there's somebody in this room right now that's like, I, I've, never, I've never asked him to be my God. I just see him as a God. Today's the day. Right where you're standing, just go ahead. Confess your sins to God. I get it. We all make mistakes. We've messed up. But we need to confess those sins to a holy God and ask for his forgiveness. Take away our sins and remove them. But God, we need more than just a rescuer and a forgiver. We need you to be our Lord. So God, come into our life and be our Lord. Lead us. Guide us. Help us to live for you. May our lives be so godly we're convicted every day. Evidence is brought before us every day. We're living holy lives. I love you, Lord. I want to sing to you now with all of our hearts, all of our soul. In thy name we pray. Amen.